0: Hi, Dr. Sam Waldron here. The fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few. Most men who need a seminary education can afford it the least, and no seminary is fully supported by student tuition and fees. We rely on the generosity of our supporters and friends. Would you give today and help us to make informed scholarship with pastoral art affordable for the next generation of gospel ministers? Visit cbtseminary.org slash give to learn how you can help. You are listening to Preaching and Teaching on the Man of God Network of podcasts. This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. Take your Bibles now and turn with me to the book of Isaiah in chapter 50. If You're using the Pew Bible. This is found on page 611. You may recall that it was earlier in the year that we were introduced to this special servant of the Lord in the book of Isaiah. When we looked at Isaiah chapter 42, indeed God himself called to us saying, Behold my servant in whom my soul delights. We learn there that he is a servant that's unlike any other. He really is the mighty God who actually brings justice to the nations, but he does so in an unexpected way. He does so in a quiet, humble, gentle, and meek manner. And then in the second of these servant songs, we came to Isaiah 49, We can see that he's the Prince of Peace who actually brings salvation not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, a light for the nations, breaks down that dividing wall and saves the people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Well, Tonight, then, we come to the third of these servant songs here in the book of Isaiah. And we'll see that he is also the wonderful counselor who speaks a word to the weary. So please follow along. We'll start there in verse 4. And read down to verse 11. Hear now God's holy word. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, The Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire and equip yourselves with burning torches... Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you will have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Thus, for the reading of God's holy word, let's go to him again in prayer. Please join me as we pray. O Lord, you sent your servant Isaiah as a prophet to speak your holy word to a people who in that time had dull hearts, heavy ears and blind eyes. And Lord, in ourselves, that is what we are. But just as there are some in Isaiah's day whom, by your grace, you opened their eyes and ears to see and hear your servant, would you, by your grace, open our eyes and ears and hearts to behold your servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, in this your holy word tonight. For as our Savior said, he who has ears, let him hear. Give us ears to hear His voice, your voice tonight, we plead. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think of someone who's weary? What's the picture that enters? Perhaps you think of the picture of a parent, especially a mother of a newborn or of young children who's giving constant care to her child, nurture to her children, getting very little sleep, often with little appreciation, struggles with exhaustion and feeling weary. What will sustain her in her weariness? Or or maybe you think of a soldier fighting far from home, seeing difficult things, pressing on in battle after battle in a war that seems perhaps to never end. What will sustain such a soldier to keep fighting when he's feeling war-weary? Or perhaps closer to home, you think of the Christian. The Christian who is seeking to be faithful to the Lord, striving against sin, battling against the lies of Satan, in the hostility of a world that's unbelieving, seeking to obey the Lord and to do good, and yet through this long battle in this present life begins to feel weary. Maybe that describes you tonight. Maybe you're feeling weary in the fight, in the battle, in the struggle. It's a feeling which I would dare say many, if not all of us who are Christians in this room, have felt it one time, if you're not feeling it tonight. It's why we need exhortations, like we find in the, the epistle to the Galatians that Paul writes when he says this in Galatians 6, for the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. We need those exhortations because in this life, in our battle with the world, the flesh and the devil, we grow weary. And the question we come to So often, and each Lord's Day even, we can come asking, what will sustain us? What will help us as we're feeling weary in the Christian life? And this is where I would remind us to remember the exhortation in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 3. He says to us, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him. Look unto Jesus. See how he was sustained. See how he endured. Learn from him. Take his yoke upon yourself, for his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And then you will learn how to be sustained when you're weary. So this evening as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, so we want us to do to consider this servant song which really is, as you know, an Old Testament portrait of our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, a picture of him, the one who is able to sustain us to the very end. And in this passage in Isaiah what we hear is the servant himself is speaking in verses 4 to verse 9. And then there are instructions given to those who are the believing remnant in verse 10 and a warning to the rebellious in verse 11. So tonight as we consider this passage, we're going to focus mostly on verses 4 to 9 and then briefly at the end in verses 10 and 11. But three things I want us to highlight from this servant song. First, we'll see the wonderful counselor. That's what we see there in verse 4. And then secondly, we'll see the weariness of suffering, in verses 5 and 6. And lastly, the word that sustains, verses 7 to 9. So first, verse 4, the wonderful counselor. You may remember back in Isaiah chapter 9, there's that wonderful prophecy. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and upon his shoulders will be the government of God. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And when we come here to Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4, what we find is this servant is that child. He is the one who is this Wonderful Counselor. For notice what it says there in the middle of verse 4, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Now that must be a wonderful counselor indeed, who can just speak a word and the weary one is sustained by it. If you've ever tried to give counsel to someone else to comfort a friend or a loved one who's struggling, you know how difficult it is. Think for a moment friend, a loved one who has had someone close to them pass away, die, and they're feeling the ceaseless waves of grief, and maybe it's even been months since that death, and they're still feeling the weight of that grief, and they come to you, and you struggle to know how to respond. What do I say to sustain this one who's still in the grip of grief? Or maybe you have a friend who comes to you and they're wrestling yet again with a rebellious child. Maybe a teenager who continues to turn away, to not heed counsel, to do foolish things. And they've tried so many things. They cry out in prayer and they have so many tears shed. And they come to you saying, what should I do? I feel so weary and worn down. You wonder, what should I say? And on and on we can go with situations where we struggle to give wise counsel. But this servant, this servant is the wonderful counselor. He knows exactly what to say in exactly the right way to sustain the weary. As we come to the New Testament, we know that this is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. He always had the right word in the right situation every time. You can see this in his interactions with individuals. Remember how, especially the Gospel of John, highlights Jesus' interaction with individuals. How Nicodemus, a teacher in Israel, afraid of what others might think, comes to Jesus at night. And he says, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For who else could do these wondrous works? And Jesus knew exactly the word that he needed to hear. He knew that Nicodemus needed to understand that unless one is born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you need to have the new birth. He uses the language of Ezekiel 36. The spirit blows where it will. You need to have the spirit come and open your eyes so you can see the truth of who I really am. I'm not merely a teacher but I am the one who gives this eternal life. I am the one who is the son of man who must be lifted up like that serpent, bronze serpent in the wilderness. He knew exactly the word that Nicodemus needed to hear to know true comfort, true consolation. Or you think in the very next chapter of how Jesus knew exactly the word to speak, the counsel to give to that Samaritan woman at the well. A woman who was weary in seeking and searching for satisfaction in all the wrong places. You remember how she was living with a man who was not her husband. The fifth in a line of men that she has been with. Seeking to find satisfaction for her soul and not finding it. And Jesus is the one who could speak of how she needs not look at these broken cisterns of illicit lovers. But instead come to the one who has living water, that she would have a spring of water welling up to eternal life come to him who is the very Messiah that she speaks of. And on and on we could go. Jesus truly is the wonderful counselor who knows exactly the word that the one in front of him needs to hear. But how is it that the servant, that Jesus, knows what to say? And this is the astounding thing that we see here in verse 4. It's because the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. Jesus in his humanity and his human nature was instructed and he was given this tongue to be able to say that word to the one who is weary, to give that word. He had an instructed tongue. In other words, before the servant is this wonderful counselor, he must first be the faithful disciple. He must be a learner, and a lifelong learner at that, listening to his heavenly Father. He has an instructed tongue because he has an open ear. It says there in verse 4, morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Continually, he comes before the Lord God to listen to him, to learn from him continually, day by day. He's communing with the Lord, listening to his word. Again, you come to the Gospels and you realize that's exactly what Jesus did throughout his whole earthly life. Certainly, growing up, the child of Mary and Joseph Devout Jews there in the synagogue in Nazareth. He would attend the synagogue school. He would read and study the Word of God. In fact, he would memorize the Hebrew Bible. It's evident, isn't it, when we come to Matthew chapter 4 and we see how Jesus is being tempted by the devil. And what does he do? He quotes the scripture, it's hidden in his heart. Day after day, he's been listening to his heavenly father, reading that word, and it's hidden in his heart so that he knows it. It's in the very warp and woof of his being. And yes, Jesus in his humanity had to learn these things, had to grow in wisdom and in understanding. In fact, you remember, that's exactly... What Luke tells us in Luke 2, verse 52, that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. From his earliest days, he was praying, Father, teach me how this word is to be applied to my life. Show me what this word means even for my life, even for the ministry that I know you have for me. Teach me this word of life. And he was given an ear to hear as those who are taught now, you've heard the saying, God's given you two ears and one mouth because you need to listen twice as much as you speak. You need to hear. And Jesus heard. But it's not the kind of hearing that sometimes I'm guilty of when my wife is talking to me and I'm thinking about something else and I really didn't hear what she was saying at all. It's not that kind of hearing. It's not the hearing that goes in one ear and out the other. It's the kind of hearing that's humble and receptive and ready to learn. It's not the hearing that says, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to do what you're saying. You know that old comic strip about the child who who says, as someone's telling him what to do, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. It's not that kind of hearing. It's the kind of hearing that says, Lord, Instruct me, I am humble, lowly of heart. Teach me your will, your way, your word. Jesus had an ear to listen to his father, to treasure up his word in his heart and to take his word to heart. Jesus in his humanity had a teachable heart. And so it's for this reason that when Jesus began his public ministry, began to preach and teach and to speak that word that really gives comfort and counsel, that people were astonished at his wisdom. Mark 6, verses 2 and 3, it says, And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Or think of the Pharisees, the Jews in John 7, verse 15. They marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied, that he has never been to their schools? Jesus answers them in the very next verse and says this, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Jesus himself said over and over again, he speaks not on his own, but what his father had given him. That's what he speaks. And so that is how Jesus became and is the wonderful counselor who's able to sustain the weary with a word because he has first taught that word morning by morning by his father. And beloved, the same is true for us. Would you desire to be one who's able to speak a word in season, a sustaining word to a brother, a sister, someone else, then we must be those who are first students of the word. We must be faithful disciples of the one who is the word that was and is and is to come, our Lord Jesus Christ. Morning by morning, you need to rise ready with a heart humble to hear what God has to say to you in the Scriptures. Week by week, you need to come and sit under the preaching of the Word, not to hear the voice of a, a mere man, but to hear God speaking to you through the Scriptures. Then you can say that you've been given an instructed heart, an instructed tongue, because you've been given an open ear. and More than that it is by listening to this word. Not only that you could be one who could speak a word to sustain others, it's by listening to this word that you yourself will be sustained. Perhaps you've heard this illustration before, I've given it before, but it's appropriate. The life of Andrew Bonar, who was a Scottish preacher, lived from 1810 to 1892, and he made it a practice in his Christian life to read scripture not just once, but multiple times a day. And in fact, uh, sometimes in the afternoon, he would just take a verse, a different verse each day, to read and meditate on. October 15th, 1864, he writes this in his diary. I had been reading between dinner and tea, my usual verse. And for this day, it was Nahum 1-7. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, he knows those who take refuge in him. Oh, little did I think how I would need it half an hour after. Lord, Lord, make this a time of the Spirit being poured out upon my family. What happened half an hour later? But that his dear wife, Isabella, of 17 years, died from complications in childbirth. And it was that word that he read a half hour earlier that sustained him in that moment and through the days ahead of the grief, the loss of his beloved Christian wife. You see how often that's so true. Isn't that been your experience, dear Christian? How you've read something in your morning devotions and later that very day, that's exactly the word that you needed. To sustain you in that moment. See, yes, our Lord, he is at the right hand of the Father. He is in heaven, and yet he is still the wonderful counselor who is this very day, able by his spirit, working through his word to sustain you, dear Christian. So that's the first thing we see in our passage, that this servant is the wonderful counselor. Secondly, I want you to notice verses five and six tell us a bit of the weariness of suffering. It speaks of his back being struck, his cheeks having his beard plucked, disgrace spitting. This servant is no stranger to suffering. Certainly, we can say this there's a lot of suffering in this fallen and sin cursed world. And we have all suffered in a variety of ways. Perhaps some of you recently have struggled with sickness or other kinds of trial. But more than that, we have all suffered because of our own foolishness, because of our own sin. Seeking to live our own way apart from God, we have often met painful consequences, known the consequences of broken relationships, We can all say that we grow weary of our struggle with sin, of our fight against temptations, and of our times where we fall and fail. This is a theme we often find in the hymns that we sing. We sing of how we are those who can be weary. Those who are still in their sins have not come to Christ. We say things like this, Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised, and broken by the fall. Or we say, I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn, and sad. Isn't that your experience in this sin-cursed world? In your own fight against your own sin? You grow so weary. We know the weariness of suffering that comes because of the curse of the fall, because of our own sin. And here we learn that this servant also is no stranger to suffering. But there's an important difference. It's not because of his sin. It's not because of his disobedience to the Lord that he suffers. But verse 5 says this, The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. This is a deliberate contrast with the nation of Israel. Earlier in Isaiah 48, verse 8, this is how he describes the servant Israel, that is the nation of Israel. He says, you have never heard, you have never known, from of old your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth you were called a rebel. Israel has been rebelling against the Lord. It's the essence of sin to rebel against God. To not do what he calls us to do in his word. But that's not true of this servant. This servant has an ear that is opened. The language of an open ear then is referring to one who not only receives God's word into their ears, but actually then believes it and puts it into practice, who actually does it, even if it's costly even if it leads to suffering. See, unlike Israel, who turns away to idols when things get difficult, who becomes like the surrounding nations in order to try to avoid suffering, this servant of the Lord remains faithful to the Lord and continues to obey the word of the Lord, even though it will lead him into suffering. That's exactly what Jesus does in the Gospels. That's what we see. Going back to the temptations, remember the climactic temptation in Matthew chapter 4, Satan says, as after he shows him the kingdoms of this world, I'll give you all of this and you don't need to suffer if you'll just bow down and worship me. It's a shortcut. You You don't need to go through this suffering. You don't need to go through the cross. Just bow down and worship me and you can have it all. But Jesus did not give in to that temptation. Instead, He remembered that word that was hidden in his heart Be gone from me, Satan. The word says, Lord, him alone shall you worship. He obeyed, he believed, and therefore he suffered. Throughout his life on the earth, he suffered. He suffered being scorned. He suffered being misunderstood. He suffered being maligned. He suffered being ridiculed. And more than that, there were physical sufferings as well. Here is the first time we get a hint that his suffering's more than ridicule. We saw the ridicule back in Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, but here it's, it's physical as well. His back is beaten. We know that's fulfilled. You remember in John chapter 19, verse 1 Pilate has Jesus scourged where they take what's known as a cat of nine tails, a, a whip that has these nine leather straps with metal shards and bones in it so that when it scrapes across the back, it rips the flesh and can even tear arteries and veins. Many died even after just being scourged. Not only that, he's mocked by being spat upon, suffered, We know from the next Servant Song that it's not just that physical suffering, but all the way to death itself. Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. Not for any sin of his own, for he had none. So he could take our place and pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus was a righteous sufferer. He suffered for doing the will of God, for obeying God. He didn't turn back, but pressed on to please his heavenly Father. And notice, notice how the servant speaks here in verse 6. It's not just that he, he passively gave into it. But he actively, he says, I gave my back. I gave my cheeks. I hid not my face. He willingly does this. How could he do that? How could he endure such suffering? How could he possibly endure these things? How could we possibly endure such things? After all. This is what we are called to as Christians, isn't it? To be willing to suffer even unto death if the Lord so requires, to remain faithful to God and his word. Jesus himself said to us in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Apostle Peter says to us Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering that we can do this. How could we endure in such suffering and not grow weary? And that's where we must see, thirdly, the word that sustains. It's there in verses 7 to 9. Listen to it again. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Did you hear the word that sustains the servant of the Lord? Did you hear it? Twice he said in this very passage, the Lord God helps me. That's the word that sustained him. The Lord God helps me. He who vindicates me is near. He has not abandoned me. I am not alone. I am not cast off. The Lord God helps me. It's like the psalmist who says in Psalm 54, for behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. If God is your helper, what do you have to fear? You see, in the midst of the suffering, our Lord Jesus Christ had faith in his Father, in the promises made to him, in the word that was taught to him, that his Father would help him, and would uphold him, and yes, would vindicate him. He who vindicates me is near. Though I'm being misunderstood, though I'm, I'm suffering not for any sins of my own, God will vindicate me. That's the word that his father had promised him. You're going to be a substitute. You're going as my servant to show what a son of God is supposed to be like. Not like Adam, not like Israel, but one who is faithful to the very end, who trusts me. And Jesus believed the word of his father. That word sustained him. So much so that you see the result of such faith. Notice how he says in verse 7 But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I've not been disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like a flint. He continues on in faith to obey the Lord with determination, though he knows it's going to lead to his suffering. That very phrase, so you face like a flint, is echoed for us, alluded to in Luke's gospel. Chapter 9, the context is Jesus is telling his disciples about his mission. Peter has given the great confession that Jesus is the Son of God, and now Jesus turns to tell them, as the Son of God, I am going to go to Jerusalem, and I am going to be given over, and I am going to die on a cross. And three days later, I'm going to rise. And it's in the midst of him teaching them that he is going to suffer that Luke says this in verse 51 of chapter 9. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Because he was sustained by that word of the Lord, I am the Lord God who helps you. You hear his confidence, so much so that in the the next two verses, or or verse 8, is that courtroom scene, as though as he's saying, who has anything charged to bring against me? Come, I challenge you, come. I have this confident, defiant faith because I know him who will vindicate me. He has those three questions. Who will contend with me? Who is my adversary? Who will declare me guilty? These are not expressions of of doubt, of fearful doubt. These aren't questions of wondering in that sense. No, these are questions that are confident faith. Faith that he will be vindicated. Faith that his accusers and their accusations will fade away. They will disintegrate like a moth-eaten garment. I don't know if you've ever seen a moth-eaten garment. You come to a closet, maybe of your great-grandparents, let's say. And it didn't have any cedar in it, no mothballs. The moth have gotten to it. You see it hanging there. You open the closet, the the moths fly out. And you go to, to maybe grab it off the hanger and all of a sudden it just turns to dust. Disintegrates. That's the image here. The accusations and the accusers will disintegrate. Such is his confidence because it's in the Lord God who helps him. Beloved, because you and I know the rest of the story, we know who this servant is. We know that his faith was not futile, but it was well-founded. Our Lord Jesus Christ was vindicated. He was raised from the dead. That's what we celebrate each and every Lord's Day. That's why the Lord's Day is on Sunday, the day of his resurrection. And now he rules and reigns at God's right hand as the rightful ruler As the rightful son of God who is given the inheritance of the nations because he was obedient to his father even unto death. And he himself then is living proof of that sustaining word, the Lord God helps me. See, our Lord Jesus Christ is not only the counselor who speaks of what he does not personally know. We all know people like that, don't we? You know, the the couple that comes to give you parenting advice though they don't have any children yet. Or that single man who comes to give you marriage advice. We all know what those kinds of counselors are. Jesus isn't that kind of counselor. No, Jesus is the wonderful counselor whose counsel has weight because he himself was sustained by that very same word through his own suffering. And so when he comes to you this evening and he's giving you this counsel, you should listen to it because he knows this is the counsel that will sustain you as you inevitably struggle with weariness in this sin-cursed world. Because he himself was sustained by that very word. You will be sustained by that word. And what's the counsel that he gives at the end of this passage? The counsel we hear from another speaker, it's God the Father as it were, the voice of the prophet, through the voice of the prophet, speaking to us there in verse 10 and verse 11. What's the counsel speaking to that remnant of believers? Who among you fears the Lord, verse 10, and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. That's the counsel. You who fear the Lord and obey the voice of his servant. Do you see what Isaiah did there? He equates obedience to the voice of the servant with fearing the Lord. Hint, hint, the servant isn't just human. He's also divine. You need to obey the servant But what does he mean by this phrase here? Him who walks in darkness and has no light. After all, doesn't Jesus say he's the light of the world? He who comes after me will not walk in darkness. What does this mean? He's referring to the reality of walking through the darkness of suffering in this world. He's referring to the reality that as a Christian we go through times where we're not clear of of how certain things are going to turn out. Uh, we, We walk in times with some confusion, difficult situations. You know how that is when there's great suffering that you're feeling or going through. Yes, there are times where we walk through darkness. There are even times when a Christian can feel as though God has abandoned him. And what's the counsel that the wonderful counselor gives? Trust in the Lord, trust in the name of the Lord, and rely on your God. This is the very one who on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's no more feeling of darkness or of abandonment than that. And yet in the very midst of that, he trusts in his Father. And you're a Christian, he says the same thing to you. Whatever the struggle you're feeling, whatever in your Christian life or you're feeling that you're walking in the darkness, he's saying walk by faith and not by sight. Trust in the Lord God who helps you, who will bring you to your end, who will vindicate you in the end. As you continue to be obedient to me, be faithful to me, know that I am always faithful to you. You see, the contrast to the one who walks in darkness is verse 11. Behold, all who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, go ahead, walk by the light of your fire, by the torches you have kindled. In other words, it's the person who seeks to lean on their own understanding. They've kindled their own fire. They don't need the light of God. They walk by their own understanding. But the warning is this, if you do that, you try to... Go through this trial, this suffering, this difficulty in your own understanding. You start to do the things that you see the world around you doing to try to relieve your suffering. Instead of listening to my word, this is your end. You shall lie down in torment. It's a warning. So what should we do? What does this servant of the Lord counsel us, this wonderful counselor? Tell us, trust in the name of the Lord. And beloved, that's exactly what this table is saying to us. It's a table for you, weary Christian, to come to. You who fear the Lord. You who obey the servant of the Lord. This is a table that is a word for the weary. Jesus in this table is saying to you, I am the Lord who is near to you. I am present with you even this night. I am here to encourage you and to strengthen you and to remind you that I will vindicate you in the end. Do not fear. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never let you go. You can rest in me. So weary ones, may this word sustain your heart tonight and may this meal sustain your soul. Let us pray together. O oh Lord God, we thank you that you are our God and that you know our frame, that we are but dust. And you know that we so often need your sustaining word. And would you once again feed us this word, feed us at your table that we again would be sustained to continue to endure obedient to you conquerors who overcome to the very end by the grace and strength that you supply. We pray in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit CBTseminary.org.